You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got a loaded show for you setting the stage for the Saturday matchup between Maryland and the number 14 Penn State Nittany Lions. It is game week number 10 on the schedule. My colleagues at Lions 24-7, Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen, will be with us in just a bit to break down what we saw from a Wednesday practice session at Penn State's practice fields, what that means carrying forward in terms of player availability. We'll break down what we believe are the top storylines of this game from a Penn State perspective, offer up our players to watch, and our predictions on a final score. But first, let's switch gears, get to know these Terps a little bit better, and we'll do that with longtime 24-7 sports Maryland reporter Jeff Ehrman. And Jeff, we appreciate you getting some time with us. So we exchanged some questions. So uh, we already have something up at lines247.com with you providing some insight on the Terps, but this is really a chance to dive a little bit deeper over the course of these next 10, 15 minutes. So thanks for joining us for a segment. Absolutely, Tyler. Thanks for having me. We thought there was a chance in looking ahead to this November schedule that this was uh, maybe a ranked opponent for Penn State. If Maryland was able to go on the road last week and come home with the win, end up seven and two, didn't happen that way. Didn't come close. It was a 23 to 10 loss. Maryland scores its only touchdown in the final minute. Can you kind of summarize what went wrong in that matchup and maybe what you think about the Terps moving forward out of that one versus what you thought about them prior to that kickoff? Yeah, kind of like I wrote in, in response to your questions on the site, everything went wrong. You know, it would be hard to pinpoint one thing. Obviously, the weather didn't help there. As I mentioned, they're a passing team that likes to pass to set up the run. Uh, it was cold, wet, rainy. You know, the offense never got going. Wisconsin controlled the, the line of scrimmage on both sides. So it was really the first time this year Maryland's had one of those absolute clunkers where they never really had a chance from start to finish. Um, you know, as I mentioned, in response to your questions, I do think that they'll bounce back this week. I mean, I think they'll win, but I think that they'll perform well because, you know, this team's a little different some, from some of the other Maryland teams in recent years. They're more experienced, a little more resilient. You know, a lot of guys on their last go around right now. So, you know, I think that they'll, I think they'll recover and play well, but obviously coming off a loss like that and, you know, double digit underdogs, I don't think too many people are picking them to win. The the record for Maryland in November over the last decade or or so is pretty brutal, and they've had seasons that started off promising uh, that that end up you know average at best. Uh, what do you think about this November? The importance of it in year four for Mike Loxley, and what are the priorities? Obviously, you want to win every game. They've got Penn State, they've got number two Ohio State, they've got Rutgers left in the schedule. They've already got what you called that clunker. How important is this month, and and what are the realistic expectations that they need to accomplish? Well, it's important, you know, in a perfect world, it would this would be the year you finish strong and have a winning record in November. But 
The schedule doesn't really align for that, obviously. The schedule was much easier during the first two-thirds of the year. Uh, you know, significant underdogs at Penn State, probably significantly bigger underdogs against Ohio State. So, you know, you would like to see, obviously, you need to win one of these final three with Rutgers in the finale being the most likely one. Uh, but, you know, anything beyond that, I think, at this point is is – you know, playing with house money, obviously, you, you know, they've been a good team. They've outperformed expectations. I think the preseason betting total was five wins, depending on when you got it. So they've already surpassed that. But, you know, if you weren't, if you're not able to win one of these final three, if you were able, if you ended the season uh, six and six, you know, it would be a disappointment for sure. All things considered. We mentioned the six and two start. Uh, one of those losses was a game where they lost by seven on the road at Michigan. We've seen what Michigan do, can do on their home turf. They lost by two at home against Purdue. And I know that's one that you circle as kind of a pendulum swing for this program. Um, but but when it's gone right for the Terps thus far, what has gone right? Oh, what's going right? I think, you know, the defense has been a little bit better than some might have expected. They're still not a shutdown defense by any stretch, but, you know, they're much better than they have been the past several years. The defense has been a major weakness for Maryland. So defense has been better. The offense probably hasn't been quite as explosive as you thought. You know, people talked a lot about Rakim Jarrett and Dante Demas as these star receivers, and that hasn't really panned out. And, you know, statistically, they've really spread the ball around to a ton of guys. Uh, the running game, you know, Roman Henby has been a, a revelation. Nobody had really, you know, unless you follow the team closely, nobody had really heard of him before this season. He won the job in camp as a redshirt freshman. He's been really good, you know, averaging 6.2 yards a carry this season. Uh, so they have a, they found a future star there. They found another guy, Corey Deitches, uh, at tight end, who's been really good. You know, arguably their best uh, pass catcher. You know, probably he's made the most – you know, I would say big plays anyway. Statistically, I think he's exactly tied with Jared at like 396 yards. So, you know, a lot of things have gone right. They haven't been as explosive as maybe you would have hoped. But again, overall, I think they've outperformed most expectations. Tonga Vailoa has been around for a while now. It feels like he, he just transferred in, but this is year three as a starter. Um, he's, he's played a lot of football for Maryland. He's going to have his name up very highly or at the top of a lot of, of records for the program. And we've seen him put up some big numbers against Penn State a couple of years ago in Beaver Stadium, last year down in College Park in a loss. Where is he in his progression? Uh, you mentioned the kind of the lack of explosiveness out of this passing game. How much is that is kind of correlated to his performance here? And, and obviously he's trying to put on uh, a show for NFL scouts. His older brother is who he is. How do you think that kind of has fact, uh, kind of has come to fruition in, in his final year here with Maryland? Uh, well, actually, he could have one more year technically. He That's right. Not- I got to get used to the COVID year, don't I? <laughs> well, no, he registered as a freshman at Bama, so he could be back next year. You know that that you know in a month from now that'll be more of a story. But um, you know he's gotten progressively better. I don't think you haven't seen some huge jump from him. I think he's you know he's gotten better each year. He's gotten better this year, and not you know the interceptions cutting down on those, which was an issue for him in past years. You know, he's a pretty similar guy, but I think decision-wise, he's gotten a little better. That shows in his completion percentage. I haven't looked at it since the Wisconsin game. Heading into that game, I think he was fifth in the country at 72%. So he has gradually improved, um, you know, and he's 
even with the warts that he might have, he's the best quarterback they've had in decades, and he's scribbled his name all over the school record books. And if he were to come back for another year, he would own every passing record at Maryland. And and let's see. I mean, where is he health wise? I know there were some issues uh, in the last few weeks. Um, is he close to a guy who's fully capable? Is he someone that we're going to see out there and, and and notice maybe he's restricted to some capacity? And just in terms of general health, are there some injury absences, some moving parts from a personnel standpoint that we should know heading into pregame? Uh, health wise, they say he's fine. He started last game. You know, he re-injured the MCL in his right knee and missed the. Uh, Northwestern game a few weeks ago, but he should be fine, at least as far as they're letting on. Injury-wise, they had a bunch. They've gotten a little bit healthy since the bye week. Uh, Mason Lunsford, an offensive lineman, has been out. He'll be out again, uh, which is big because, if, you know, they have a, a kid named Colton Deer who they've slid into the starting center spot as a true freshman, which is obviously, you know, it's hard to start anywhere on the line as a true freshman, especially at center, though, where you you know, you're making those calls and you're snapping the ball. And he had a he had four or five bad snaps in the Wisconsin game. So that's something to watch. Uh, otherwise, where Kim Jarrett had an injury, a leg injury, as they phrased it, lower leg injury last week. It sounds like he should be good to go, but you never really know for sure because, you know, Mike Loxley doesn't like to let on too much about the injury statuses. Yeah, not surprised to hear that. Same same deal on this campus as well. Um, you know, kind of an Go underlying storyline. <laughs> so what, an underlying storyline here is is that Chop Robinson is quickly going to face a team that he was just a part of not too long ago, and it's a new part of college football. It's something that wouldn't have ever happened uh, many years in the past. Um, we talked a lot about it uh, this week on the Penn State beat. Is it a topic of conversation down at Maryland? And um, you know, kind of generally speaking, his departure after one year being you know kind of that cornerstone prospect that they try so hard to keep at home. How much is that sting and seeing the success on another Big Ten campus? It's been brought up on and off, obviously, anytime you lose a blue chip, one of your better recruits in recent years to, a, you know, obviously we can discuss whether they're rivals, but a border or bordering uh, conference team that's going to sting. I haven't really seen any discussion of it this week. It seems like he got off to a great start and people were talking about it a little bit and maybe has leveled off a little bit lately, so it hasn't been quite as much of a story, but you know, it was definitely a blow for them, you know, both perception wise and the fact that, you know, pass rushing is not their strength. They, they you know, they, they could use some more speed on the end. So that was, that was a hit for them. And I'm sure he'll be extra motivated this weekend. And I'm sure Maryland will be extra motivated not to let him, you know, do anything. I'll leave you with this one. Um, Maryland comes to town and wins for a second time in a row in Beaver stadium. If what happens and then Maryland comes to town and loses a second straight game in big 10 play, if what happens? I think they win if they can establish the run, you know, because Penn State's secondary is so good. Uh, you don't want to be forced to throw all day against that secondary, especially with Talia, as we know, in some of these big games where he's had those interception issues. Uh, defensively, they need to hold up much better against the run, uh, avoid a lot of the penalties that have hurt them. They're the most penalized team in the Big Ten and one of the most penalized in the country. Uh, I think if, you know, Penn State wins if they if they play their best game and you know it's going to be hard for Maryland to do a lot about it I, th I think especially on the road um, Sean Clifford I think he's been pretty solid I don't know how the fans are feeling about him this week that seems to that seems to fluctuate quite a bit it's but, week to week it is definitely yeah, week to week around here yeah <laughs> and, uh, last in their last trip there they obviously gave him kind of a nightmarish afternoon so if they can replicate that that would be big if they can't get the pass rush going. 
um, and, and they, you know, and they um, continue to commit the penalties and things like that, then it could be a long day. Where are you leaning from a prediction standpoint here on a Thursday? I think it's going to be a close game. You know, I think the spread seems a little high to me. Uh, you know, I, I don't see anything compelling me to pick Maryland for the upset. I think they're capable. But, you know, if I had to make a pick, I'd say Penn State 31-24. All right. Jeff Ehrman does a great job covering Maryland for 24-7 sports. Been doing it for a while. Happy to get him here on the podcast as these teams get to meet each other in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. Jeff, thanks a lot for the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks again to Jeff for his time and breaking down Maryland. And we'll get more into that matchup now from a Penn State perspective by bringing in Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen, colleagues at Lions 24-7. And, of course, you hear from them every Thursday in this pregame edition of our weekly podcast. How are you doing, fellas? Uh, we are off the practice field on Wednesday night, as usual. And this was a key one to watch for in terms of availability. And, and we'll begin on the offensive line. Because last week, it was a scrambled situation. It turned out really well for them against Indiana, to that unit's credit, to Phil Troutwine's credit. Daniel, we've got a lot more questions to sort through in the next 48 hours here before kickoff. And certainly not trending in positive directions in, in parts of this offensive line. Definitely. I, I think when you look at what we saw on the practice field last night, uh, it's almost easier to say who was there and, and who was doing things as opposed to going through the longer list of, of who we didn't see or, or who we saw that was limited. Um, but you know, we didn't see Olu Fashionu out there. Um, I think he's kind of the, the biggest name right now that, that we're tracking after uh, James Franklin's announcement that Landon Tangwall had a season-ending surgery earlier this week. Um, but it does look like we're going to see another kind of shuffled deck out there. Um, we're going to see, I think, some interesting contingency plans uh, in case there's any more injuries or anything along those lines. But we didn't see Olu out there, you know, didn't see Tangwall. Uh, Salim Wormley looked like a limited participant. Caden Wallace looked like a limited participant. Um, and then you, you just kind of go uh, from there. Hunter Norzad was there. Uh, Drew Shelton was there. Um, guys that we saw take a lot of reps uh, last week were out there. So I think it's going to be a pretty similar line to what we saw last week against Indiana. Um, and you, you do kind of wonder, uh, was last week kind of a, a lightning in the bottle situation in terms of the opponent circumstances uh, with, with having that many young, inexperienced guys out there? Or is this something that Penn State can replicate? I think that we're going to learn a lot about the development of this line, the development of some of these younger players and kind of how Phil Troutwine pushes these buttons uh, and if he can get them to, to work again. 
to this point, Landon Tengwall is the only guy in that bunch who's been ruled out for the remainder of this season. Uh, it was categorized o Olu Fashionu as week to week by James Franklin on Tuesday. So make of that what you will. Um, you just laid it out there. Uh, it sounds like there's going to be a need for some of these younger players to, to step up. And James Franklin talked about it after practice Wednesday, Mark. A big part of their growth as an offensive line is credited to the depth that they've established with those first-year players, which is really rare at this level of college football. And then today, we just had a conversation with, with Phil Troutwine less than two hours ago, and he spent a lot of time on Drew Shelton, of course, coming off start number one, but also Venga Ioane, uh, the guard who we could see potentially take a step forward in his career, get involved in a third game this Saturday against Maryland. Yeah, sometimes it's difficult to judge why we're seeing certain players at practice. And, and I wonder with the whole Sal Warmly thing, you know, we saw Venga in there at his position. And, and I wonder if that was more getting Venga extra reps uh, because he's not had that many. Uh, or was it, was, was it protecting Sal or was it some combination of, of the two? Uh, but how fortunate are they? to have brought in two offensive linemen who are able to contribute this early. I mean, Phil Troutwine actually had a pretty funny story saying, uh, you know, just recently he said, Drew Shelton wasn't here in the spring. I thought he was here in the spring, but no, he arrived in June. I mean, and for a guy to come in and play at that left tackle spot and play well, I think speaks to, uh, to speaks to how good he is. But, but you, you think about it, both of those guys arrived in the summer. Venga actually arrived even later. And to have one of those guys in a class that could come in and make an impact is rare. To have two of them, uh, I think is, you know, that, that that's that's kind of special. I think they have some wiggle room with Venga here. You know the numbers better than I do. I didn't take a look at the redshirt report yet. I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I know they want to get him in there to, just to have him ready just in case. So having those two, those two guys ready to go, uh, you know, I think Shelton obviously – I'll go back to what I said earlier. I don't see the, the – if he's that advanced, and, and Troutwine was talking him up even more today, uh, I just don't see that it makes any sense to even attempt to redshirt him at this this point, even if Olu comes back, just because if, if something's re-aggravated with Olu, you want to have this guy ready to go and get him, get him a bunch of reps. So uh, lucky to have two freshmen and, and both of them doing a good job so far. Franklin mentioned on Wednesday night may not be feasible uh, to apply that red shirt to Drew Shelton moving forward. So uh, we'll see this Saturday. That would be number four for Shelton. That would mean the next snap after this Saturday would burn his red shirt. Uh, like you mentioned, Venga has a little more wiggle room. He's at two games at this stage of his freshman season. And it's not just those two guys that they've gotten instant uh, addition impact from. This 2022 influx of offensive linemen, you've got Malik McNeil, who's a big six foot seven statue of clay to work on here for the next two or three years and figure out what you've got in him. But four guys have shown up on campus and played significant football now for you. It's those two freshmen um, and, and maybe not significant to this point for Venga, but I think it will be by the time we get through the next few games. And then you've got JB Nelson, who played 70 plus snaps last week, was needed through the entirety in both guard positions. And you've got Hunter Norzad, who came to campus in May. The only guy who was actually here for spring ball, getting those 15 practices under his belt, was J.B. Nelson. And, and we've talked a lot in the past about what the transfer portal has done and Penn State's ability to bring players in and make an impact. And they've had a pretty high hit rate there. Focusing on the offensive line in this situation, Daniel, I mean, it has been a major 
kind of a bailout for, for them. Otherwise, you look at what they'd be working with uh, and, and developmentally, they face some issues, you know, working guys up their own pipeline within the roster. Penn State is, is really fortunate when you look at especially that class of 2020, um, you know, the, the five guys who are on the offensive line who are brought in there. Um, you know, Olu is the only one who has played really steady reps and, and made steady contributions um, from that group. And I think that's where uh, Hunter Norzad comes in. Um, that's where a JB Nelson comes in um, you know, via Lackawanna. Um, I think the thing that really helped with those guys is the the previous experience that they had. You know, Hunter Norzad is a, a fifth year senior. Um, you know, he was in the Ivy League for a long time. Obviously, his career was interrupted by COVID, um, given that the Ivy League canceled its, its season um, in 2020. Um, so it hasn't been a completely linear um, path for him. But I think that when you bring in guys from the transfer portal on the offensive line, um, you know, theoretically, you should bring them in with, with a higher floor. Um, you know, even from the JUCO ranks like JB Nelson. And I think that's something that that really paid off um, for Penn State this season. Uh, I mean, it, it is really hard to contribute as a freshman along the offensive line. I think that Penn State has two hits right now uh, in Drew Shelton and Vanga Ioane. Um, but the fact that you can rely on guys who are a little bit older, um, a little bit more developed, um, even if there is kind of a, you know, uh, you know, technically or maybe mentally in, in terms of techniques or in terms of knowing a playbook or things like that, there's development that needs to happen. You're at least not operating from a physical disadvantage. I mean, there's a difference between trotting out a 22 year old and an 18 year old in a, in a dire situation um, when it comes to depth. So I think Penn state did a good job of identifying, um, you know, true freshmen in that class of 2022 to bring in uh, and then supplementing it with a junior college player and a, um, and a transfer portal veteran, uh, because I think that they knew that after last season that they really needed to bolster that depth. Um, they needed an influx of talent there, uh, and they've really addressed it. When you factor in Hunter Norzad coming back next year, there's going to be a lot of talent on this roster, uh, a lot of talent in the trenches. And as this year has shown, you might need all of it. And it's not easy to do on the offensive line. We've seen, I mean, Eric Wilson started 12 games last season, but, you know, I don't think he's starting on this offensive line. I don't think he's seen a lot of opportunities on this offensive line. Uh, and then, you know, Anthony Wigan comes in from Lackawanna, ultimately ends up taking a step down the, the, the ladder out of Power 5 football to finish his career. So it's not easy to do. They've done a, a slam dunk with it in 2022. That involves evaluation. That involves what Phil Troutwine has done with the unit since they got to campus. And we have a lot on that conversation with Troutwine at lines247.com. Um, so check, check that out. A bunch of the freshmen about the offensive line depth. And although he's sidelined in the moment, uh, Ogu Fashionu and his NFL draft, draft stock, uh, Phil was not shy about breaking that down and why he thinks Olu is so appealing to pro scouts at this point early on in his career. Let's shift focus to defense where the glaring absence on the practice field Wednesday was Curtis Jacobs. He leads all linebackers in tackles. He's second on the team in that category. Um, a guy that, that has that ability to, to create a stir and change momentum. Um, we're not sure if we'll see him on this on this Saturday against uh, his home state team, the Maryland Terrapins. Um, but we do know he was out early last week, did not come back, and we didn't see him on the practice field. And generally speaking, Mark, that's not a good trend at this stage of the game week. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it puts a lot of pressure on Abdul Carter, who to this point, I mean, has played extremely well, uh, but they haven't absolutely needed him. And in this game, they are going to need him to step up if Jacobs isn't able to play. 
I also think it impacts what's going to happen over at that Sam position. I mean, you know, honestly, I think it's been a bit of a tough year for Jonathan Sutherland over there. Uh, but you really have to play him, or do you look at a Dom DeLuca? I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what you do over at that spot because what they have been doing is moving Curtis Jacobs over there and uh, putting Abdul Carter in at the, at the will position. And I think with a, a quarterback like they're going to face this week, who, when healthy, is very accurate, uh, you know, we've seen what those quarterbacks do to Penn State, especially in that short passing game. And, you know, Curtis Jacobs, I don't think anybody's going to say that his, you know, strength is pass coverage. But in terms of who they have out there, you know, he's played a, he's, he's played a lot of football. He played a lot of that Sam position last year. He was in space a lot. So he's a guy who can do those things for you. And if you take him out of the mix, again, I think, you know, you're going to be leaning heavily on Jonathan Sutherland, who's not had a great year, and Abdul Carter, a true freshman who has a gigantic upside but is going to have to learn really quickly. And then, obviously, at middle linebacker, looks like Tyler Elsden will be okay. Uh, I thought it was good that Kobe King, when he had an opportunity to see more snaps last week, really flashed. But, again, I don't know both of those guys. I really wonder about their ability to cover you know, tight ends, running backs, kind of in space. We've seen some, some, some opponents running wide open in those areas underneath. And I think uh, all of those linebackers, if Curtis Jacobs is, is unable to go, are really going to have to step it up in that department. Elsden was a participant at practice on Wednesday. Good to see as he got very little work on Saturday after an exit. Um, just a couple other veterans checking in on their status. Kevon Lee did not see him at practice again. It's It's been a while since we've seen him at practice. He has not played since the Michigan matchup on October 15th. Uh, Tyler Warren was absent. He's played a cumulative less than 20 snaps the last couple games, so you've got to question what's happening there. It's been Theo Johnson, Brendan Strange taking over at tight end. If they need to work a third guy in, if Warren's not there, Khalil Dinkins is the name to know. Uh, and then Marquise Wilson, uh, he's you know quietly been that fourth cornerback in a really talented position group, uh, absent the last couple matchups. He was a participant at practice. So we've got a lot to look forward. As, as always, before this matchup, we'll be doing that with our binoculars from the Beaver Stadium press box. Be sure to follow our coverage on Saturday uh, prior to kickoff. Uh, Two hours, hour and a half, we were there uh, and, and, we're, and we're following along the action to see what happens next. Mark, when we talk about that linebacker unit, the name that I wanted to quickly bring up is Keon Wiley because he's the freshman out of Philadelphia. He's been a, a, a scout team stalwart through, through most of the season, but he was not in a scout team uniform this past practice view. And that stood out to me. He was wearing his number 32, which he has in the Penn State roster. There's no linebacker across the field this week that wears number 32. I had to double check that. So he's another name to throw in there and, and, and consider in the box. But I think you mentioned Kobe King. He has an opportunity here in November, I think, to really set himself up going into the offseason because Daniel and I talked about it last show. This is a competition that has gone unresolved, although it is Tyler Elsden's show for the most part this season. feels like there's it's an unresolved situation, and you probably throw Abdul Carter into the conversation too. Big moment here, it feels like, for Kobe King, and he got off to a good start last week. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think think all those young linebackers again against this opponent. It, it's it's if you lose a Curtis Jacobs, if he's not able to play, everybody has to step up. In terms of Kobe King, I mean, I've liked what I've seen of him for most of the season. I, I you know, I, I'm not sure why Elston has been the guy who has kind of uh, gotten the vast majority of the snaps uh, heading into last week's game. 
I suppose it's probably because at that Mike linebacker position, you're making all the calls. And I'm guessing maybe Elsden is a little bit better at making those calls at this point of his career. But again, I liked what we saw out of Kobe King. And I think the more snaps that he gets, the more comfortable he can become kind of in that role as the quarterback of the defense, so to speak. With, with regard to Wiley, uh, I think he only played on special teams uh, out, at, out at Indiana. Um, but I, I wonder where he would ideally fit in because, you know, I don't think right now that I think they initially projected him as a Mike, but I don't know that you need him at that position now. So it would almost seem to make more sense. Again, we're, we're operating as if Curtis Jacobs isn't going to play. We don't know that for sure, but uh, that's kind of the sense that we're getting. Uh, you know, do you see Wiley, you know, over at that Sam position, which, you know, typically – that's been an area where with young linebackers, they've been able to introduce them into that spot be before moving them to a more complicated spot. They've cross-trained Wiley. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out he's 206 pounds for the roster, and he looks like that. He's actually you know, scout-teamed a safety in, a, a, during the season at times. So you know, certainly some questions about his ability to hold up in the box. I think we're probably looking at a situation where if he plays this week, you're looking at maybe a maximum of a dozen snaps if things go according to plan for you. But it's one of those things to file away. Another young member of this roster, and we've seen a lot of them stepping up. Speaking of new members of this roster, Daniel, you wrote a story today about Chop Robinson and this very rare opportunity. I mean, it's it's what, a matter of of, of seven months ago that he's with this team and, and they're they're preparing for spring ball. And a lot of Maryland fans think he's going to be part of the plan and heading up to, to Beaver Stadium and chasing around Sean Clifford. And yet here he is. The script has flipped, and he's one of the more feared members of a Penn State defense that Maryland's going to deal with. What do you make of this situation? I mean, on, on Saturday, it will have been one year and six days uh, since Chop Robinson was chasing around uh, Sean Clifford as a Maryland Terrapin last year uh, at Maryland Stadium. Um, you know, James Franklin acknowledged it, that it's kind of a, when he was asked about it on Wednesday night, that it's, it's a different game now. Um, when it comes to the transfer portal, when it comes to being eligible immediately. Um, in the past, it was always the thing where you would hear about someone entering the transfer or someone with their intent to transfer. And then shortly after, the, the list would come out um, of the, the schools that they were restricted from transferring. And typically that would be, you know, like the schools in the conference plus, you know, future opponents out of conference for the next, you know, X number of years. That was just kind of how, excuse me, how business was done, but you know, we got to think about now. It's insane, it's insane to think about now. I completely forgot about that. And that was what, 12 years ago. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, you know, to, to bring this back to Maryland, I was thinking this morning about, uh, you know, I've talked about him before, but Danny O'Brien, when he was transferring out of Maryland uh, in early 2012 and you know, he took a visit to Penn state. Um, but his list of restrictions was, was something like the ACC schools, Maryland's future opponents for the next X years. And then, oh, Vanderbilt, where, where his former offensive coordinator, James Franklin, wow, yeah. uh, had gone. And I've looked up the story today and eventually Maryland relented uh, and got rid of all the restrictions uh, for him. And you know, he ended up at, at Wisconsin. Um, so it is, you know, in the past decade, things have changed so much. Um, I do think that it, it, on the, the aggregate, it's for the better um, when it comes to these players and, and their freedom to move around a bit. Uh, to find the best situation uh, for them. Um, I think that it's one of those things, too, that everything evens out in the end. You, know, you see the the bonkers number of guys in the transfer portal. Um, 
over time, I think that things will settle down and, you know, everyone adjusts. I mean, college football has been through so much uh, and it's not dead yet. Um, so I think that that it can get through this. But, yeah, I mean, going back to Trap Robinson, um, he's someone who came in at a position where there is a lot of uncertainty uh, there in the spring, um, especially after Zariah Fisher went down uh, with with his season ending injury. You know, Jesse Lucetta was gone. Arnold Abichetti was gone. Uh, Adisa Isaac was coming off a torn Achilles. <laughs> Smith Vilbert had flashed in the Outback Bowl, but you still didn't quite know what you had there. You knew Deny Dennis Sutton was coming in as a very highly regarded player, but that's still relying on a freshman, uh, even, even if it's a five star. So there are a lot of questions there. And, you know, Trap Robinson, I think, was a very good piece to not only boost the depth there, but to, to raise the level of the group. You know, he's still adjusting um, and coming in from being an outside linebacker at Maryland to being more of a traditional 4-3 defensive end at Penn State. Um, and I think either Adisa Isaac or Devon Elise said this week that, you know, once he continues to get the hang of it, once he you know grows into it more, he has a chance to be a, a pretty dangerous player. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see him. I, I got him for a minute after uh, the Indiana game last week. He was made available to us. And, you know, I, I, I snuck in the question about, you know, if he if there's any extra motivation for him for this game or what he thought about it. And, you know, he he deferred. You know, he said that he was. Uh, excited, uh, but he was just focused on enjoying that win out in Bloomington. Uh, but both Adisa Isaac and Devon Elise and even James Franklin said that there's probably some excitement there uh, for for Chop Robinson to go up against his his former teammates and uh, you know do it in a different uniform, uh, one that's pretty familiar to his teammates. Yeah, Chop last week, uh, two tackles for loss and a sack, and he only played about 20 snaps, so a, a bit of a, a, an opportunity for some rest uh, over the course of that matchup after he played a lot of football against Ohio State. And he'll be on the hunt against this Maryland team, and when you look at this matchup, Mark, it is one that Penn State has historically dominated, uh, 41 wins, three losses, one tie along the way. There was a three-game stretch from 2017 through 2019 where Penn State outscores the Terrapins. 163 to six. It was just a party every time they uh, put that blackout to bed early on in 2019, back in Sean Clifford's first ever Big Ten start. But here we are. And one thing that is certainly lingering, I think you can tell conversations with players and, and it's just something that they want to exercise is a demon from 2020. What happened here in Beaver Stadium? That was a really egg on the face moment, Mark, because 34 to 17, I think it was that night, wasn't even indicative of the margin of the performance. This one feels a little bit more personal to me for a team that prides itself on the one and no mantra. Yeah. I also, uh, you know, in our predictions, goon always harkens back. It, it, it really bugged him in 2014 when, uh, when Maryland captains refused to shake hands. <laughs> and I will bet you that that's still in, and I know that like we're, we're talking about a different, all different people involved there, but I think that still probably sticks in Franklin's craw. I don't think he would admit it, but that and yeah, I mean that you know that whole 2020 season, uh, I, I think people, some opponents, really relished. And uh, you know, you, you go back to the Indiana game that year where they celebrated like they had won a national title, which it was a big win, and they should have. And then you know Maryland gets up and 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 really stomps. I mean that was that that the final score wasn't even indicative of how bad mm -hmm. that beatdown was. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the, that there were players who were involved in that game and coaches who were involved in that game who are going to be motivated. And, you know, I also think that you look at what, uh, you know, you look at what Maryland went through last week uh, 
uh, at Wisconsin and the way that game kind of unfolded in sort of ugly fashion. And you look at a quarterback who's banged up and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hinting to where, where, where I'll go with my, you know, score prediction here, but I just think you're going to see a motivated Penn state team, you know, I, coming out of that Ohio state game, there were legit questions over how the, that team would bounce back. You know, it's one thing to, to lose to Michigan and then you still have that carrot of Ohio State sitting there. It's another thing to be up with nine minutes to go against Ohio State and then somehow, you know, not only lose, but, you know, just lose in, in, in ridiculous fashion. Uh, but, you know, the 10-win season, the, po- the possibility of a 10-win season, the possibility of a New Year's Six Bowl, it's there for them. And I think added in that motivation. And, they're, you know, P- Penn State won't call this a rival- rivalry game. But it's as close to a rivalry, you know, regionally as they probably have, right? I mean, when you talk about a team that Penn State played for years and years and years, even before getting in the Big Ten and then didn't see them for a long time, and then Maryland gets in the Big Ten, you you obviously have the whole Loxley-Franklin thing involved. So I'm not saying it's a great rivalry, but I do think there are some elements of a rivalry here on both sides. And I think that makes it fun. It should, you know, hopefully both teams are, are a little bit more amped for this one. Historically, there's also been elements of a hammer and a nail in this matchup. And of, of late in the last decade, uh, certainly they've given Franklin's Penn State squad some issues. Um, and in this matchup, when we look at how that could happen again, Daniel, what stands out to you? If Maryland has its opportunity to seize, where is it on the field? I think that that offense has to bounce back. I think that that's really the only way uh, that Maryland can can really compete with Penn State. Um, I think you look at how the Penn State offense has has played the past couple weeks. They looked good at Indiana. Um, I thought for the most part they looked good against Ohio State. Um, and then going back to Minnesota the week before that, um, I think even with those Sean Clifford mistakes that are sprinkled in there, um, I think that the Penn State offense is, is playing at a level where if you want to beat Penn State, you got to score some points. So I think that Maryland and Maryland has the, the talent to do it. Um, you know, last time Rakim Jarrett was at uh, was at Beaver Stadium. He was running wild through the secondary. Uh, when I talked to him at, at Big Ten Media Day uh, back in July, he said that he kind of viewed that game as, as his breakout on the college stage. And I think he said he should have had one more touchdown, um, but but he got caught. Um, I think from behind. So um, I think that those guys are, are going to be motivated. You know, they're really balanced uh, six guys with at least 20 catches. Um, they have some interesting uh, matchups. Uh, you know, they have that six two, 220 pound tight end uh, who's been a big play threat. Jacob Copeland, the transfer from Florida has been a big play threat. Um, and then you go back to Roman Hemby, uh, the, the running back um, 6.2 yards per carry had a big game against Northwestern. Um, I think that he's someone that can can break off a big run. So I think that's kind of Maryland's key to be in this is to get some of those big plays to let those athletes that Mike Mike Loxley has recruited, like Rakim Jarrett, um, to come in and let them make big plays. Um, I think Jayshon Jones is another guy at wide receiver who, in his first career game ever, you know, ran for a touchdown, caught a touchdown, and threw a touchdown. Um, so, you know, they've got these guys that can do a lot of different things, make big plays. Um, and I think those guys really do need to show up uh, and make that happen. If Maryland wants to make this a game, wants to beat Penn State. A couple of weeks ago, Penn State took on one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Maybe a guy who's going to win the Heisman Trophy. That's been bookended, though, by really two 
bottom out situations at the quarterback spot. I mean, Minnesota had to turn to two different guys who weren't ready for that situation and they were leaning heavily on, on their running game in that matchup and it didn't work out well for them. And then last week, of course, the wind, the three different backups for Indiana, that didn't work out well for them. This is a different kind of test for Manny Diaz. You just laid out why. Mark, what are you looking for from this defensive unit? Because quite frankly, outside of that Ohio State matchup, those other couple matchups, we haven't really gotten to see them take on a full arsenal of an offensive attack. Yeah, I think pressure, 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 especially with the potentially uh, hobbled quarterback. I know that may sound, you know, mean or cruel, but uh, listen, if 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 he's not operating at a hundred percent, get after him. I mean, that's one thing that, I, that in that Indiana game that I really liked is that when when they got in trouble, they just let loose. And I think you take your chances. You know, if, the, if somebody's going to beat you deep, great. Uh, but unleash, you know, blitz, uh, unleash your, your defensive ends and, and, and get as much pressure on this quarterback as you can. Because I think he's the one guy that, it, that if he, we didn't we see it last week, if he's not clicking, that offense is in trouble. So, so get after him and, uh, you know, you play clean, but you try to get some solid hits in and, and, and keep him on his toes. And I think that is the absolute key. Uh, for this team in this game, because I think, you know, Daniel mentioned it offensively, you know, Mike Yersich has his group clicking and, and you look at the number of points Penn state scored against Ohio state, despite the four turnovers from Clifford. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, So I think Penn state's going to score. It's going to be a matter of, you know, playing the defending against a, a very talented quarterback. And he's put up some big numbers against this team. He had 370-plus yards last year. Had a costly interception at the end of the game, though, that, that Jair Brown took back for a touchdown. And uh, and that visit here to Beaver Stadium, uh, 280 and three touchdowns without an interception, um, you, know, you look at what he's been able to accomplish and getting him off platform, You they're missing some components, too. We spent a lot of time on this show breaking down Penn State's offensive line. They're turning to freshmen. They're turning to backups in key spots on their offensive line. Uh, we've already talked about the waves of depth this Nittany Lions defense has been able to implement. And you know, for whatever reason, they haven't been hit hard by injury bug. And, and that has really been huge because they go real deep across that, that defensive line. Last week, five sacks against an Indiana offensive front. That is really bad. Uh, and then all of October, two sacks for the entire defensive line. So you want to see that kind of trajectory sustained. This is going to be the Hoosiers offensive front, but it certainly isn't going to be one of the premier offensive lines in the Big Ten, uh, especially the way it's coming into this matchup from an injury standpoint. So I think you want, would love to see some of that dominance up front. Uh, the interior group, you know, that, that rush was big last week because Zaya Izzard, Devon Illies both got sacks. Uh, I think Zane Durant was able to apply some pressure. That's an aspect of this defensive line that I think has been missing a little bit in some key moments. You don't, I haven't seen that interior penetration. I think if they can carry that over at Indiana, bring that into this matchup, and then free things up for the guys on the edge, that presents some issues for Maryland, and that could get their quarterback to fall into a trap, which he's done before in putting the ball in a bad spot and setting the stage for a big night for this uh, secondary. So, Daniel – the shredding of this Penn State defense that we've seen from Tagovailoa at times is kind of comparable to, to what Sean Clifford has done against Maryland as a quarterback. I mean, he's got three career wins where he's thrown for 300 yards in that game. Two of them are against the Terps. What do you think about the focus on number 14 and the lack of focus that we in the media have placed on him this week? I mean, we're what we're almost 40 minutes into this podcast, if not more. The first time we're getting to Mr. Clifford. 
Yeah, I don't think Sean Clifford came up in James Franklin's in his, both of his availabilities this week. Uh, he, he got a question about Christian Veyer uh, on, on Tuesday, but that was the only time the, the quarterbacks uh, were talked about with James Franklin. So I, it's, it's one of those things where winning cures a lot. Uh, especially when it, especially when it, it's it's for the quarterback. Um, but I think Sean Clifford's going to have a, a big game. Um, he's been able to take advantage of the secondary before in his career, um, and I think that you look at how Parker Washington has come along. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley is continuing to make some big catches uh, in some key points. Um, I think that Tinsley is someone who could be in for a big game. Um, but I think one thing that we've learned about Sean Clifford is that even if he makes that, that first quarter mistake, he's very resilient. Um, you know, we've seen him come back from it, uh, against Minnesota, uh, last week against Indiana. It's, you know, it's not perfect. It's not pretty. We know what it looks like and and what it is, but he's been able to get the job done, um, at a couple different points this year. And I think that Saturday will be another uh, occasion of that. You look at the Maryland defense and they don't really have a big time pass rusher. Um, they're, they're not a, a team that seems to really get to the quarterback and bring him down um, with a lot of regularity. So I think that Clifford, even with a potentially patchwork offensive line in front of him, um, I think he should have some time and he'll have the ability to, to make some decisions um, you know, Maryland has played a couple shootouts this year. Um, they had that game again. They had a you know weird Saturday night non-con game against SMU uh, in College Park that featured some action through the air. Um, you know, they're susceptible to, to giving up some points uh, here and there. So I think that Clifford should be in for a, a pretty pretty big game. And I don't know if you want me to give my bold prediction now or, or if I should save that for for predictions. But it, it does involve Sean Clifford. Why don't you stash that? Because we'll keep a huge segment of our audience on with us. They probably would have left <laughs> if you gave that away just now. So let's keep them on board. Let's get to our predictions. And Mark, let's start with you. Um, actually, sorry, that, that my own joke got me screwed up there. Uh, Mark, <laughs> let's start with you on our players to watch. We bounced around a bunch of topics here. Let's get the players offensively, defensively, who you focused in on on the Nittany Lions side. Yeah, I'm looking at Brenton Strange. He had four touchdowns through Penn State's first four games. Has not had a touchdown since, if my math is correct. Uh, had a couple of really nice catches against uh, against Indiana. I think they'll, you'll see more focus on Theo Johnson defensively just because of the way he's kind of uh, been more of a target in recent weeks. And I look for Brenton Strange to come through and have a big game. And then over on defense, you know, I am going to go with Abdul Carter. Double-digit tackles, maybe a sack. Uh, you know, he's the sort of athlete that, that you could really let loose in this game. You know, could he make a mistake or two? Yes, but I'm looking for him to have a big game, a couple tackles for losses, maybe a sack, double digits in, uh, double digits in tackles overall. All right, what do you got for us, Daniel? On, on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Mitchell Tinsley. Uh, like I just mentioned, I think Sean Clifford should be able to make some things happen. Um, and then a little subplot that I wrote uh, about over the summer, Tinsley and uh, Maryland cornerback Jacorian Bennett were teammates at Hutchinson uh, Community College out in Kansas uh, when they both came out of high school. Um, Bennett said that they would get up early at 6 a.m. every day and the two of them would go out uh, and, and work out. So both of them have the book uh, on, on how to beat each other. So I think that'll be uh, a little fun, entertaining, a little bit more human subplot. 
but I do like what, what Tinsley has done. And I feel like he's kind of due. You know, Parker Washington came out and had that big game that we were all kind of waiting for. Uh, Tinsley hasn't really had that type of game yet. Um, he's been very solid. He's been able to get into the end zone, but he hasn't put up those numbers that when you go through his, his game log where you're just like, oh, wow, he really did it this game. Um, defensively, I'm going to stay in the linebacker core and go with Kobe King. Um, it does seem like Tyler Elsden is on track to play, but given how Kobe King played last week and given that we're not quite sure what Tyler Elsden you know, might be dealing with, I think that there's a good chance that we'll see him. And I want to see if he can build um, on that performance from last week. Uh, Roman Hemby averages 83 uh, yards per game for Maryland. Um, you know, when you, when you think about this Maryland team and the, the weapons that they have and how they've played in the past, it, it's almost a little surprising to look at the numbers, uh, with Tonga Vailoa only having 14 touchdowns to six interceptions, you know, even though he's, he's missed some time. And then you look at Roman Hemby with, with seven touchdowns on the ground and who's had some really, really big games for them. I think he's been over a hundred yards four times, maybe. Um, so I think that Kobe King will be important in the run game. Um, especially if that Penn state defensive line keeps playing at a high level, if you've got PJ Mustafer and Kazai Izzard taking up guys to, to make some space at the second level, I think we could see Kobe King make some big plays in the running game. Circling back to what you said on Tinsley, his most productive game to date remains the season opener. Seven catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown at Purdue. He had a couple third down catches on, on Penn State's first touchdown of the drive last uh, – first touchdown drive of the game last Saturday. Uh, my players of the game, I'm go with the guy who scored five touchdowns the last couple weeks, Katron Allen. Um, led the team in receiving yards and rushing yards last week. Um, very fascinated by his ascension. I mean, we, we knew it was never going to be the Nick Singleton show and he was going to be an afterthought, but I think we thought at best uh, that, that he would be kind of that, that second option, that, that by the time we were into this season, the fans would, every fan would know Nick Singleton and maybe many of them would know Katron Allen. They're both at the forefront. Uh, they're both doing a great job of sharing that load. J1 Siders, uh, getting them both involved on a consistent basis. There's no one else with the scholarship and running back room to play right now, so that helps. Um, but I'm going to go with Katron Allen going plus 100 yards for the first time against a Big Ten opponent in his career. I think he becomes the first Nittany Lion to get the double-digit touchdowns on the season. Nick Singleton's not far behind him. Um, and then defensively, Sign me up for Joey Porter Jr. Um, it's been kind of a quiet stretch for him. Ohio State, the targets were very limited. Um, at the, the couple weeks that we saw Minnesota, Indiana, quarterback wasn't able to accomplish much against anybody, wasn't willing to test a lot of these guys. It was a conservative approach. And you go back even uh, to, to Michigan. They were able to really shut their passing game down because they built such a big lead, ran for 400 yards. And before the bye week, it was Northwestern, which didn't have much of a passing game to speak of. So to me, it feels like Joey Porter Jr. is going to face the quarterback who's going to be willing to test him on occasion, especially if the Terps fall behind in this game. And that means he could rise up to the spot and remind everybody a little bit, pad some of those stats, which have kind of been, uh, you know, kind of stayed where they were for the last few weeks. I think this is a really a nice stage set for Joey Porter Jr. to maybe slam the door shut on a Maryland drive or two and just remind folks that he is a premier talent at that position. Uh, prediction time, guys. Uh, Mark, we'll go back to you here. Uh, what do you got for a score, and what is the bold aspect of your prediction for this one? I will go bold first. I think Penn State's going to return a kick for a touchdown. Wow. Could be a punt, could be a kickoff, could be a block kick. If you're asking me to be specific, I think Nick Singleton. <laughs> I think Nick Singleton pops a kickoff return for a touchdown. He has been so close on runs and a couple of these kickoffs that I, I think he finally finds that seam and bursts through and 
Uh, so I, you're asking for bold. I'm giving you bold. Uh, special teams touchdown, kick return touchdown, but uh, I will go specifically with, uh, with with Nick Singleton. In terms of, of score, I, I go back to what I said. I just think that the Penn State offense is really clicking under Mike Yersich. It's been good to see it finally develop a level of consistency aside from the turnovers, but we are we're kind of seeing what this, the identity is. You know, moving the ball around, having a quarterback who generally is making good decisions. And I just think with a banged-up quarterback on the other side, I think he's still dealing with a knee injury. I don't know that they're going to be able to score enough points to, to keep up. So I'm going Penn State 35, Maryland 20. All right, what do you got, Daniel? For for bold prediction, I, I teased it a little bit. I think we're going to see a season high in yardage from Sean Clifford. Um, he's averaged 367 yards per game in his previous starts against Maryland. His season high is 371 against Ohio State two weeks ago. I think that fits into to what I thought about Mitchell Tinsley having a big game. So I'm going to put it on the quarterback shoulders. We didn't talk about him all week, but I think we'll be talking about him uh, when we get to Saturday evening. Um, as for the score, uh, I think last week, when you look at how Maryland played, I think that's an anomaly uh, for them. I think that they're too talented. They have too many playmakers um, you know, on that offense to have a, a duplicate performance. They're also playing a, a Wisconsin team that's a little rejuvenated and I think is really, really playing uh, for Jim Leonard uh, to, to get that full-time job. So I think Maryland will make it interesting early, but I think that overall, I think Penn State is just a stronger program uh, than Maryland, has a deeper roster. Uh, I was going through some numbers uh, since Maryland joined the Big Ten in 2014. Maryland is 6-25 and in November. Uh, if you go back to the start of 2011, which was when Randy Edsel took over, Maryland is 8-35 and 35, uh, in November games. I think that that just kind of speaks to that program just not being at the level where at this point in the season it hasn't been able to stand up to attrition. Um, it, ha- it doesn't quite have the same depth as maybe a Penn State or these other teams uh, in the Big Ten East. So I think that there's a, a real gap there. And over the course of Saturday – that gap will, you know, will become a little bit more clear. Um, Maryland keeps it interesting early, hits on a couple of those big plays, but we get a couple of Tonga Vailoa mistakes that Penn State's able to take advantage of. Maybe it'll be similar to last year where Jair Brown, you know, some sort of defensive touchdown gives that final breathing room. But I have Penn State 38, Maryland 24. Yeah, and I think just playing off of what you just said, the concern from a Maryland perspective is the guys in this locker room have lived it before. The fan base has lived it before. Is it, oh, no, here we go again, a November slide that sees us go from 6-2 and two to 6-6 six and six or something like that, or where you're reliant upon a Rutgers win in that last game to get that seventh win. They've got Penn State this week, Ohio State next week, and they just came off from a very uh, demoralizing loss. And there's big question marks for how Mike Loxley's going to fire up this unit have them ready to come up to play in Beaver Stadium against a team that very, looked very mo- motivated last week when they had their moment like this. So uh, it, there's part of me that wonders if the bottom falls out for Maryland, if things go bad for them early in this game. We've seen it happen to them before in this building. But I'm going to go more of a, a, a narrow margin 
14 points like you, 34 to 20. I think Penn State wins it. I do think they'll be able to find balance again offensively. I mentioned Katron Allen, uh, an effective get, uh, an effective day. I think certainly you'll get uh, plenty of uh, opportunities for Nick Singleton to go off as well. And Sean Clifford goes plus 300 yards uh, for uh, once again against this Maryland team. Uh, the thing for me here is I think defensively they'll come up with more plays uh, over the course of this game than will the Terps defense, uh, and they'll win the turnover battle. And my bold prediction plays into that for a second straight year. A red zone interception seals the, the victory. And I'll go double bold here since I already brought him up. I'll say Joey Porter is the guy who personally says no, sir, uh, and, and closes that uh, opportunity for Maryland. I don't know if he'll race it back like Jair Brown did last year, but I think uh, that'll shut the door in their face. Get Penn State to eight and two with a trip to Rutgers on the horizon. That's going to do it here. We've all got Penn State winning. Uh, we've all got them improving uh, to eight and two on the season. Big thanks to Mark and Daniel, as always, for hopping on on a Thursday. We'll all be in the Beaver Stadium press box on Saturday. Join us before kickoff at lines247.com as we keep an eye on the offensive line, on the linebackers, on what it looks like is shaping up for the starting unit for the Nittany Lions. We will be there early. We'll be reporting to you. Uh, follow our coverage throughout the day and after the game. There's also recruits on campus. Tyler Calvaruso has you covered at lines247.com as that list continues to come together. Uh, we'll be with you again on Saturday with our postgame podcast. For now, I'm Tyler Donahue. On behalf of everyone here stepping aside, this has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.